the Gospel for this Transfiguration Sunday comes from the Gospel of Matthew, the 17th chapter, beginning at the first verse. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Get up, do not be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, Tell no one about the vision until after the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. This is the gospel of our Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. And let us pray. Gracious God, send forth your spirit by the power of your word to create faith, to forgive sin, to grow our love for you and for one another. Amen. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. A silent Jesus is a safe Jesus, and not in a good way. It's when our Jesus talks that we get in trouble, we find ourselves in trouble. Usually Jesus can get himself in trouble too when he talks. Uh, a talking Jesus is a Jesus, though, that also speaks a promise to us, a promise to you. He is a Jesus who has something to say to you, and usually it is not good in the beginning. Uh, he may call you names. He may pronounce a curse even. He may talk of things that you don't like to hear about, things like crosses and death and repentance, but also then he brings you things that you're dying to hear of, like mercy and grace and resurrection. That is what we have this morning. We have a Jesus who speaks and a God who commands us to listen to him, but I wonder how good we are at that requirement. Listening? Husbands, do I need to ask your wives how that goes? Listening? I think we're all bad at it. I don't think it's a, it's a male trait, although it might be genetic. I don't know. I think, in my, my experience, we're not very good at listening, usually. Our religious nature is one in which we talk uh, more than we listen. It is a nature that seeks a deity we can control, that we can tell it what to do, one we can capture in a net or a bottle, like a, like a nice little butterfly, uh, keep it in a jar, and we can compare it with, with our neighbor's butterflies, our neighbor's deities, uh, taking it out every now and then to, to, to look at it and, and say how pretty it is. Oh, it's blue. How's yours? Oh, yours is red. That's nice. Uh, a God that, that looks nice, that maybe even is a better looking God than our, our neighbor's God. And so we can compare and contrast the strengths and the weaknesses as though God is a, a new boyfriend or girlfriend that we want to show off to mom or dad. But a talking God a God who has something to say to you, that is a dangerous God. We want to keep that God silent. The thing that we get in the Transfiguration Saga 
either good or bad. It isn't a, a wardrobe change on the part of Jesus. It's not another, another parlor trick. It is Jesus coming to you and messing up everything that you think you know about God or religion and throwing it back in all our faces and crushing all our thoughts about God in one brief little moment. And it, it begins where it says, right, after six days. Whenever you're reading the scriptures and it says something like that, you need to go back and find out after what. After six days from what? Something happened six days earlier that now this thing is happening on this mountain. What was it? Well, it's six days after Jesus had asked his disciples a question, a couple of questions. One, who do people say that I am? Do you remember this story? And the disciples give their, their answers, the, the rumors they've heard. They, they recount those. Oh, well, some say Elijah, others John the Baptist, some Jeremiah, well, maybe Joel Osteen, you know, your favorite preacher that you maybe like to listen to every now and then. Then Jesus asks the most important question, the question that's for one sermon someday, but not for this morning. Who do you say that I am? Making it very personal, right? And then we get Peter. Good old Peter. We can always thank him for being the idiot that he is, usually. He sticks his hand up in the back of the crowd and goes, Pat Sajak, I would like to solve the puzzle. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah, the Son of God. And you can just see him sort of snapping his suspenders and looking at John going, try that one on, John. See if you can do better than that. I get a gold star. And I can just picture Jesus walking up to Peter, patting him on the head, going, good boy, Peter. You've been listening in confirmation class. You paid attention to the pastor while he was speaking to you. Uh, but now let me tell you about this Messiah you're talking about. Let me tell you about this Son of God you're confessing me to be. And then he does. He says, I must go to Jerusalem. And you can see Peter going, yes, finally. Kick those Romans out. Get that throne. I get a new robe, a title, my name on the door of a corner office with a view of the ocean. It's going to be fabulous. And then Jesus adds, oh, and by the way, I'm going to suffer many things under the religious elites, the ones who should love me, but don't. And I'm going to be killed. And on the third day, when I'm really, really, really dead, then I'm going to rise from the dead. And what was Peter's response? Do you remember? The Greek, it says this. Heck no. That's what it says. Heck no. That's not the Jesus I want. That's not the Jesus I Why am I following you? You just see Peter freaking out about this because he does. He says, heck no, that's not going to happen. And then Jesus has to pull him aside and calls him a name. What does he call him? Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You're thinking of the things of this world. You're not thinking of the things of God. You're not thinking of the things that I've come to do. You're thinking of the things of what you think I should be doing for you. And then we get the passage that most of us know we probably don't put it on the t-shirt or the coffee cup or, or something like that, but uh, you, you probably know this one, Matthew 16, 24, and 25. If anyone is to come after me, he's to deny himself, 
take up his favorite form of execution and follow me. That's what it says. Take up the cross. It's not about wearing your favorite necklace or brooch or something. It's not about the decoration we put up in the church. It's pick up your favorite form of execution and follow me. Because then he says, whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And whoever wants to, whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Blowing up everything in front of the disciples. The hallmark of the Christian faith is to trust in Jesus that when you lose everything, you win because no one can take Jesus away from you. That he comes to silence all the other voices and have his voice, his voice that that carries a promise to be louder than all the other voices that speak in your ears. That that tells uh, this voice that tells when when everything you trust in is stolen from you, Jesus is faithful and righteous and will give you the kingdom because he's promised to, and he keeps his promises. So it's six days after this whole exchange with the disciples that he takes Peter, James, and John the three caballeros, and they go up the mountain. And his appearance has changed. He takes off the Jesus of Nazareth mask, just like at the end of Scooby-Doo, and suddenly you discover his son of Godness, showing himself for who he really is, to show what Peter's confession has at stake. Because you see, the God who showed Moses the glory of his backside, that's what we got in the first reading. It was the end of that reading. God says, you can't handle looking at me, but I'm just going to show you my derriere as I go around a corner. That's all you get. And that's what we have here on this mountain. This is what testified to by, by Moses and Elijah being present there as they're saying, this is the God of the Old Testament. The God who made all things. The God who led the people out of Egypt. The God who gave the promised land and the covenants. The God who, who Daniel tells us holds your very breath in the palms of his hands. This is the God standing before you in Jesus Christ. Jesus being more than a sage, being more than a, a political figure, being more than a guru, being more than a fortune cookie salesman. God himself for you on that mountain. Seeing this kind of Jesus, though, I love Peter. He tries his best. He does what he can. I do find it interesting that when you read about the glory of God in the scriptures, most people fall down in fear when they see the glory of God. They freak out. Isaiah says, I'm a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. Kill me now, because I've seen God. But not Peter. No. What does he say? Oh, this is good. Now, if you wish, I'll make you a tent, Jesus. Not only a tent for you, I'll make one for, for, for Elijah and Moses too. Yeah. Because Peter wanted to actually bottle up this moment. He wanted to capture this Jesus on the mountaintop. He, he wanted to be able to take this type of Jesus, this glorious Jesus, with him wherever he goes. Because glory is cool, right? And the nice thing is about a tent is you can put it up. And you can take it down, put it in the bag, put it on your shoulder, go somewhere else, pick it up, put it down. Do the same thing over and over and over again. You can take it with you. Or he can also make the tent and leave it up there and then think, oh, this is where Jesus is. I can go and find him here. This is the type of Jesus I want. I don't want the Jesus that comes down the mountain. I just want the Jesus that's on top of the mountain in hopes that maybe some of his glory will rub off 
on me. And that's us often. We, we want our Jesus to come in power, to show us his glory, to, to, to be uh, who we tell him to be, to give us the kingdom, but we want it without the cross. We want it without the price. If I can just keep Jesus up here, then there is no Jesus that must die for me. There's no Jesus who must save me. No Jesus who will be condemned by the religion I love only to destroy that religion and force feed me grace through his body broken and blood shed for me. Think back to those times when you were on the mountaintop of your faith. Maybe you went to one of those music festivals with the fog machines, strobe lights, all those things, bumping bass, couldn't hear for like three weeks after you're done. Or maybe it's some Sunday morning here when the worship team was like just jamming off the chain, or you came to the first service and Shirley was lit on the organ. A little distortion here and there. Maybe it was a time when the preacher got you to say amen more than once, right? And that emotional drug of exhilaration and excitement makes you to want that again, that that high of of religious fervor, uh, thinking that you could never be more in touch with God than right there. And that is Peter in his tents. That's us. We want to take that experience with us wherever we may go because we can't imagine that God might actually be present in suffering. That God might actually be present with us in the times when we think he's the most absent. When we're in the wilderness and we think he's abandoned us. We want revivalism. We we want craziness rather than death and resurrection. But where is that crossless Jesus in the hospital room when they tell you nothing more we can do? Where was Jesus at the funeral of an 11-year-old girl I heard about yesterday on, on Facebook back in Minnesota who died of a cancer that very few people have ever had before? The Jesus of the mountaintop is a Jesus without a promise. That is a Jesus without a resurrection, a Jesus without the cross. And without the cross, there is no hope. That is why the story doesn't end with the tents and the the shining bright light Jesus. Because we get a voice, right? A voice comes from the cloud to finally cause the disciples to fear. They weren't afraid before by the strobe light Jesus, the neon Jesus. But now they are. Before the voice, Peter and us think that, that we can keep Jesus here and there won't be a cross. But, but what does the voice say? Besides mimicking what happens at his baptism, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Then they adds another phrase. Listen to him. Listen, he says. Hear his claim as he tells you of Calvary. Hear him as he says to you that he must die to cure you of of, of seeking a silent God. He, He must die and rise to take away your godlessness and to hand you himself as a broken and dead Jesus raised to new life because that is what you need. Listen to him as he speaks to you from the cross, Father, forgive them as he tells you that he's going to prepare a place for you. Listen to him because you will often only listen to yourself. 
Listen to the Jesus who bookends our gospel reading with the cross. He, he tells the disciples of it before the mountain, right? That I'm going to go and I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die and I'm going to rise again. And he finishes with it here. He says, do not tell anyone about this until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. Don't tell anyone about the glory you have seen, the glory of the only Son from the Father, until the glorious one dies an inglorious death for the saving of the world and is raised. Because otherwise, everyone will want the glowy, lightning-y, uh, neon Jesus. Most of us like our gods to look like Thor, not like a bloodied, broken, bruised, dying Jesus on a cross. Is when the voice comes and speaks that the disciples finally shut up. This is what I think is the reason why we don't invite people to church or youth group or Bible studies. Because... Uh, we're scared of what they might hear, because I'm dangerous, let alone what they might say about us or think about us. Oh, you're one of those. Do you have one of those little fish on the back of your car, too? Do you have a bumper sticker on the back that says, Mean Green Jesus Machine? I do. Um, but even more, I have this hypothesis, and I haven't tested it. I'm not a scientist or anything, but I wonder if we worry, if we invite them to church that things will change so much that that whatever comforts us in the relationship that we have with them right now, and then Jesus shows up, speaks to them, change happens. What if our relationship changes? What if something different happens because Jesus shows up and changes things? So we'd rather maybe keep things the way they are. Well, church, the only Jesus we have is a Jesus who speaks. The world speaks too, but it usually tells us to seek glory, to do more, to be more, to look good and be good. Jesus speaks a different word, a word of death and life, a word of turning to God, of losing ourselves and resting in him, a word that gives us safety only because we could lose everything, and yet he will not leave us nor forsake us. Because if he is a Jesus who went to the cross who died for you, how could you do anything now to drive him from you? He already nailed himself up somewhere to die for you, to be raised for you. He emptied the tomb for you. Transfiguration is Jesus showing you who he is and telling you that his glory doesn't matter and neither does yours. What matters is the promise, the promise that you will die but he will raise you. The promise that you are a sinner, but he forgives you. The promise that you are lost, but he has found you. The promise that you are nothing, so he has become your everything. Listen to him, church. May his voice call to you today, telling you of what it is that he has done, whether it be through a preacher, through a table, through the scriptures, whatever. Let him speak to you that you might know this Jesus who speaks. Thanks be to God. Amen.